I hope you have your Bible with you today. We're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. What we are covering today is a uh, very, very important passage. Well, all the passages, obviously, of the Bible are important. On the surface, in some ways, it may be a little difficult to grasp when we break it down, and we will be breaking it down today. But it's almost like there's one big idea, one big idea in these verses that I want to bring to light today. And if there's one thing that we need to understand about the Christian life, it is really what the title is today, much more than rules. It is a tragedy that many people, both believers and unbelievers, both believers and unbelievers, have a skewed view of the Christian life. They see it as nothing more than a bunch of rules to keep you from enjoying life, to keep you from having fun. To be honest with you, this is very disheartening because what it tells me is it tells me that Satan has done a masterful job in blinding people to the truth. Listen, I know what it's like to be lost. I didn't get saved till I was 19 years old. And I can tell you today, dear friend, that what I have now in Christ, I wouldn't trade it for anything that the world had to offer before I trusted Christ as my Savior. The Christian life is much more than rules. And if you see the Christian life as a believer, as just, well, it's just a bunch of rules, you know, I just want to do my own thing and all that, your own thing, if it's not God's thing, is going to bring you into bondage. It's not going to free you up. Because if it is contrary to the will of God for your life, it is sin. And if it is sin, sin always results in bondage, not freedom. It may seem free on the front, but before long, it turns into bondage. And that's just the truth of it. And by the way, no one's an exception to that. The wages of sin is still death, and our opinions are not going to change it. But let me say what takes place now in the book of Ephesians, we are wrapping up what we call chapter 3, today. Chapter 3 is starting to transition into the second part of the book of Ephesians, which is immensely practical. We are going to be learning uh, from the second part of Ephesians, we're going to be learning not only how the church is the function, we're going to be looking at the mechanics of the church and why God has given gifts and gifted people and so forth to the church. We're going to be talking about what I call the doctrine of replacement critical for the Christian to understand, critical for the Christian to understand. We're going to be talking about our relationships with one another. We're going to be talking about marriage and the home. It's all coming in chapter 5. We're going to be talking about our children and our relationship with them in chapter 6. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare and how to be victorious as a soldier for Jesus Christ in chapter 6 as well. There is so much that is yet to be covered in the book of Ephesians. It's amazing that such a small book could have so much packed into it. But here in chapter 3, Ephesians 3 verse 14, it says this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now the issue comes up. What about the family of God? What about the family of God? Well, let me ask you this morning. Are you a child of God? You might say, well, sure, I was born into the world. I mean, everybody in the world's a child of God, right? Nope. Not everybody in the world is a child of God. Everybody in the world is a creation of God. 
every person in the world is a human being, and that person was made in the image of God, okay? And, and we know that. But see, something happened. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin and death was passed on to every man. And man is born alienated from God. He's not a child of God. Now, God wants him to be his child, but that takes something. And what it takes is it takes faith in Jesus Christ. Until you trust Christ alone as your Savior, as we are going to see here in just a moment, you're not part of the family of God. You're not a child of God. You are only a child of God if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. That's how you become a child of God. Let me show that to you. Hold your place here in Ephesians. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. What does it say? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, "...but as many as received him," referring to Jesus Christ, "...but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them, or to them that believe on his name." And the the King James word even is is italicized there. That was added by the translators. It's it's emphasizing it is what it's doing, even to them, okay? It isn't saying, well, yeah, we'll include them too. That's the way we often take it today. That's not what it's saying. Specifically to them is the idea of the even, okay? But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, the Savior, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You notice here, even even John chapter 1, verse 13 makes it clear that it's not something that we can do. It's really, verse 13 is talking about, it's not by something man does, or it's not by man's works that we're saved. We're simply saved by grace through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. You notice it says, to them that believe on his name. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, and we'll talk more about it next week. Jesus, God who is our Savior. When you believe on his name, you are believing in him, you're trusting in him that he is God who is your Savior. Okay, you're believing that Jesus has paid for your sins on the cross and you're trusting in him to give you eternal life. Often we like to illustrate it, if this is you and me, here's our sin. We're all sinners. Our sin separates us from God. Now, you can't go to heaven with even one sin, not even one. You have to be sinless in the eyes of God because heaven is a perfect place. God says our sin has to be paid for if we're going to go to heaven. If we die with our sin, we'll spend forever separated from God, separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for anybody. Now, we're already sinners, so no amount of good works that you can pile on yourself will take away the sin. Death is the only payment for sin. Going to church doesn't take away the sin. Being baptized doesn't take away the sin. Giving money doesn't take away the sin. Trying to be a good person doesn't take away the sin. None of those things take away the sin. Death is the only thing that takes away the sin. But if we do it, we'll spend forever in hell. God doesn't want that for us. That's why God took on flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And it's referring here in John chapter 1, the Word is Jesus Christ. And what do you need to do? You need to receive Him as your Savior to have your sins taken away. Well, how does that happen? By believing, by trusting 
in him. Trusting in him that he did what? Here you go. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God took on flesh, this hand representing Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, our sin, he took it upon himself and he made the payment so we don't have to. That's why he came. He was born to die. He was born to die. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came. He made the complete payment for sin, leaving us nothing left to pay for. He rose from the grave, and he says in his word, if you will believe on him, if you will put your faith in him as your Savior, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. He did all the work. There's no sin left to pay for. Now, the payment's not good on your behalf until you trust Christ. See, you can know he did this, but until you believe that he did it for you, your sins remain. You're an unbeliever, and the wrath of God still abides on you. You don't want to die in that condition. So trust Christ as your Savior, and when you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. You're forgiven of all your sin. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The word hath means you have it right now. It's present tense. All you need do to go to heaven is to believe on Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him as the one who died for you and rose from the grave, and he will give you that moment everlasting life. And you notice what kind of life it is? It's everlasting life life, everlasting life. Now, the question comes up sometimes. People say, well, what happens to a believer when he dies? Well, you know, most people would believe, and it's the correct answer. When a believer dies, he goes to heaven. Trust in Christ, you go to heaven when you die. But you know, the cults, some of the cults don't believe that. The Seventh-day Adventists, which is a cult, by the way, they believe that when you die, there's something called soul sleep that you don't go to heaven, you remain in the ground or wherever you are, and you sleep until Jesus comes back. That is not biblical at all. That's not what the Bible teaches. You notice in Ephesians chapter 3, going back there, it says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch verse 15 carefully, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice it doesn't say of whom the whole family in earth is named. Heaven and earth. Why? Because believers who die, they immediately go to heaven. You might say, well, what about the body? No, the body stays here. And if there is a sleep, it would be, that'd be a term used for the body. What about the person who's been cremated and his ashes are scattered all over the place? God will take care of that. God will take care of that. Are they sleeping? Well, I don't know. There's maybe millions of little naps going on or something with a disintegrated body. I don't know. I'm just joking on that. Here's the point, though, okay, folks? Soul sleep is false teaching. And that's what the Seventh-day Adventists believe. That is a false teaching. That is not in Scripture. We see very clearly the family of God. Where is it? It's on earth and it's in heaven. When people die, they go to heaven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, and I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He did not say, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the worms. No, the Lord. You go to be with the Lord. Now, 
getting back to Ephesians 3 in verse 14 again, beginning in verse 14, Paul makes known to them his desire in the form of a prayer, but even more than his desire, God's desire for their lives. Now, here you go today. Listen very carefully. Because if you have the idea of, well, you know what? I'm just not too excited about Jesus Christ or, well, I'm here in church today. I really don't want to be, but I'm here because, you know, I'm here with my parents or I'm here because I'm supposed to be. Yeah, you are supposed to be here, by the way. But you know what? God is interested not only in you being here, he's also interested in your attitude about you being here. And here's the truth. God has desire for the lives of his children. Paul, the apostle Paul, was a man who was captured, captured and controlled by the grace of God. This drove him. This captured him. He deeply loved the Lord, deeply. And as a result, he loved mankind, which means he loved the Jew, he loved the Gentile, and he loved the church of God made up of Jew and Gentile. This is the way it should go. And as you grow as a believer, you will also grow to love people more. You'll grow to be more considerate with people, to understand where they're at or want to understand where they're at. This is a matter of growing. As we grow as believers, we grow to love the Lord more. And as we grow to love the Lord more, we grow to love other people more. See, there is a life of good works the Lord wants his children to accomplish. We don't do good works to get to heaven. We should do good works because we're going to heaven. We're believers. This is the life that God has called believers to have, is a life that is godly, that is Christ-honoring. doesn't mean we don't fail. It doesn't mean we don't sin. But what it means is this. If we are going to cooperate with God, this is the direction he's going to take us in our lives. You're in Ephesians. Jump back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Right after those famous verses, verses 8 and 9, which we love to quote here, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it gets to verse 10, which has to do with the life of a believer after he's trusted Christ. And it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. That's why he saved us, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Doesn't say we must. It doesn't say we will. It says we should. That goes along with grace. This is the will of God for the life of a Christian, but how much you cooperate with him is up to you. God wants us to fully cooperate with him, obviously, not just partially, But that's a matter many times of Christian growth, and it's a matter of how we really see ourselves and how we see him. See, this life of good works that God has for us, here's what I want you to understand today, folks, and and hopefully you already know it, and I'm just going to remind you or encourage you, but maybe you're here today, and again, like I mentioned earlier, you may be here and you don't want to be here. Maybe you're a high school kid and you think, you know what, as soon as I'm out of high school, I'm out of here. By the way, that's the majority of the way high schoolers are going nowadays, because I'll be honest with you, why in the world would Christian high schoolers go that way? 
why in the world would our church that has a Christian school, why would he, we have graduates who graduate and then they don't go on and live their lives for Christ. Why would that happen? Why would they never want to darken the doors of, of church again? Now, I know there's some who say today, and by the way, this is a partial answer at times. They'll say, well, they haven't been, told, they haven't been taught apologetics. Okay, in other words, why we believe what we believe. Hey, guess what? Not guilty here. They do learn that here. It's an issue of the heart, not of the intellect. It's an issue of the heart. There's no excuse. Anybody who comes through this church in our school, there's no excuse not to go on for Christ if you've been taught. And you have been taught. And we've all been taught. So what is the issue? Here's the issue today. Listen carefully. The life God wants us to live is to blossom out of a daily personal walk with Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ, John chapter 15, is the key. That means to remain in a continual state of fellowship with God. Oh, yes, when we sin, we break the fellowship, but that fellowship can be restored. Not talking about relationship, I'm talking about fellowship. But God wants us to go on and He wants us to grow, okay? The life is to blossom out of a daily personal walk with him. But don't make light of his commands and straightforward admonitions and principles either. By the way, they're coming in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. But before we get there, isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit of God would put such a strong emphasis in these verses, verses 14 through 21, on the daily walk and intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's foundational to us properly fulfilling the rest that he has for us in the Christian life. It's much more than rules. Now, I don't have a problem with the word rules. By the way, the only ones who have problems with rules are rebels, if they're biblical rules. And everything out of the Bible is biblical. Hence the name biblical, right? But understand The truths of Scripture and the commands in Scripture, and yes, there are commands under grace. Anything written in the imperative mood in the New Testament is a command. All right? That's what in the imperative is. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an encouragement. It's a command. Do this. And that is, and there's lots of that in the New Testament, by the way. Anybody tells you differently doesn't know their Bible. But here's the point. Those things are not to be divorced from your daily intimate walk with Jesus Christ. And that is what he wants for every one of his children. Understand they're not divorced from that real walk with him personally. And that real walk with him is one that is by faith, by faith in him, by trusting in him. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 16. His desire for them is in the form of a prayer. And Paul's desire is God's desire because it's the word of God that we have here. The Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to write down exactly what he wanted, not only for Paul, but for us and for the saints of the ages, okay? So Ephesians 3.16, here you go. It says that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. First thing we see here, that they would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in the inner 
man. That means that they would be strong spiritually. It is God's will that everybody be strong spiritually. The Christian life, folks, is a supernatural life. God asks us to do things in the Christian life that in ourselves, there's no way we could ever do them, but we can do them in Christ. Love your enemies. That doesn't make any human sense. The world doesn't love their enemies. They want to extinguish their enemies. Unfortunately, a lot of them want to extinguish their friends even. No, it's a supernatural life. When the Bible tells a husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, folks, that's supernatural. Because that love is the deepest form of love, agape love, which describes God himself. And when he says, love your wife, that is present tense. That's something we need to, we're supposed to be doing all the time, okay? That means unselfishly giving of yourself all the time to another. That's what biblical love is, agape love. And that's supernatural because we don't have that in ourselves. So you notice Paul says, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We get our strength from the Lord. Ephesians 1.19 talked about it where it said, and, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. But let's go back to verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Interesting. Verse 17 is not divorced from the rest of the verses around it. Verse 17 is part of this prayer. And you notice before we get to verse 17, verse 16 said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love. The second thing we see, it says that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, most people read that and they think, well, he's talking about getting saved. No, he's not talking about getting saved. He's writing to the Ephesian believers. They're saints. He already said they're saints. These are saved people. So what's he talking about? Well, it's kind of difficult phraseology here, but I think it's very clear when you understand this has to do with Christ being at home in our lives. I'll say more about that in a moment. Let me tell you, though, what this doesn't also mean, what this also doesn't mean, okay? And it is this. Some people look at verse 17 and they'll look at that and they'll say, well, that means that this talking about salvation, that means you're supposed to ask Jesus into your heart. That's not what it's talking about. Again, this is written to Christians. Did you know that nowhere here does the Bible say to ask Jesus into your heart? As a matter of fact, did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say to ask Jesus into your heart? Not one place. That is Christian, quote-unquote, tradition. And we use that phraseology without thinking about it. What do you mean, ask Jesus in your heart? Well, you know, uh, put your faith in him as Savior. Wait, there's two different things here. To believe in him is different than to ask him something. To believe in him as your Savior automatically gets you everlasting life. That's not what this is talking about. That isn't what this is talking about. The idea, though, where it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that's not talking about eternal salvation. This has to do with the Christian walk. This has to do with the Christian life. See, this is written to Christians already. 
Paul wants them to realize that through their Christian walk, he wants them to have or realize the presence of Christ continually. There's a sense of fellowship here. I'm not talking about necessarily a feeling, but there's the reality of that fellowship. As one commentator says, this denotes the desire that Christ may literally, quote-unquote, be at home in. That is, at the very center of or deeply rooted in the believer's lives. They are to let Christ become the dominating factor in their attitudes and conduct, unquote. The idea of, Lord, I want you to feel comfortable in my life. I want you to be at home in my life. It is a life that is being lived where Jesus Christ is welcomed in every area of life. That's the idea here. Hold your place here. Let me show you some uh, relative uh, scriptures. Look with me to John chapter 14. John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Again, these are saved people here. And he says in John 14, in verse 21, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I will make myself known to him. You notice the one who loves the Lord is the one who obeys his word, and the one who obeys his word, Jesus manifests himself to that person. Jesus becomes more real to that individual. Jump down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This has to do with fellowship. He's talking to believers here. They're already saved. But he's talking about how's this relationship going to go? Because remember, he was going to be leaving them, and the Holy Spirit was going to come. Jesus is saying, through obedience, you obey me, you'll fall in love with me more, and the more you love me, the more manifested I'm going to be in your life. You're going to get to know me more. That's going to motivate you to obey me more. You'll experience the love of God more, which will more and more drive you to walking with me where you're, I'm going to be manifested to you. See, we are talking about Jesus being real in your life. You knowing it. Now, we may know it in our heads, but is that our experience to where we're walking with the Lord? We're walking in fellowship with Him. You know He's answering your prayers. You've got that sweetness. You're in a walk of worship, if I could call it that. That's a good term, isn't it? The walk of worship. You know what I'm talking Those of you who know this, and you, by God's grace, live this way or try to, you know what I'm talking about. When you're living a life, it's a walk of worship where there's a sweetness between you and the Savior. That's the idea of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, dwelling there. Lord, you're welcome here in my life. Again, not talking about salvation. Verse 17, again, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Interesting term there in verse 17. Through abiding in Christ they would come to know the greatness of our Lord's love. And folks, when you start realizing and experiencing the greatness of God's love, it drives and it fuels you as a Christian. It energizes you. 
You don't want to stop living for Christ. You want to more live for Christ. You don't want to honor him less. You want to honor him more. He becomes your passion. He becomes the love of your life. This is what God wants for every Christian. What does the Bible say? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that you're not loving God. If we are in love with the world, we're not loving the Lord because the two are contrary to each other. The fallen world system is not what God has for us. He has something far better. When you fall in love with Christ, the things of this world become less and less attractive. Does it take maintenance? Yes, it takes maintenance. You can be walking with the Lord and living a submitted life and having a a walk of worship and all of that. But little by little, if you fail maintaining your Christian life properly, you can start losing that. And all of a sudden, these ungodly things become more attractive. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Hold your place here in Ephesians again. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're a Christian here today, let me say this. And you have a hard time understanding what I'm talking about. Hopefully it's not the communicator who's a problem on this. But the life I'm talking about, you've never experienced this in your life. And listen, folks, I'm not saying I'm an expert, and I'm not saying every moment of every day walk with Christ. No one does. We sin. We still sin, and we still fail, don't we? But I'm saying this. If this is a completely new concept to you as a Christian— God is calling you to something far greater than what you have. Now, yes, you have Christ. I understand that. But I'm talking about the life you're living, the quality of your life, spiritually speaking. God wants something better for you. It's much more than rules. Yet that's a lot of the way people see the Bible. Oh, yeah, rule book, big, thick rule book. Oh, we should be reading our Bible. Yeah, yeah, I read my Bible. All I hear is, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. I want to call my own shots. Yeah, that's the problem. You don't understand how good it is when God calls the shots in your life. Remember, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life, salvation. Not only that, but they may have it more abundantly. That has to do with the quality of your life. The word abundantly means overflowing in quantity and quality. John chapter 10 in verse 10. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Paul again writes, and he says this, for the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ. That does not say, for my love for Christ. It's God's love for me. He was captured by the love of God. His life was captured by it. He says, it constrains me. I'm uh, controlled by it. It controls me. Now look what happens. For the love of Christ constraineth us, believers, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live, believers, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Yeah, that's the order. That's the order. When we are captured by the love of God, by the grace of God, what does it do? It captures us and it motivates us to serve the Lord faithfully and to live the life we should 
live. It's no longer a burden. It's a, it's a blessing. It's no longer a burden. It's a pleasure to do so. It's an honor to do so, to worship the king in the way we live our lives. That's what he's getting at here in these verses. He's saying, guys, I know you're saved. I know you know you're saved. But the Lord wants to be real in your life every day. And he wants to use you to accomplish great things for God. Now let's couple, going back to uh, second, or Ephesians chapter 3, let's couple verses 17 with 18 and 19. 17 again, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You notice that in verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, length, depth, height, and to know, to come to an understanding of the love of Christ. And what does that do? It passes all knowledge. Why? It goes deeper than just having the facts, having the facts. See, this is the door to an intimate walk with Jesus Christ, this book. Here is where we learn God's ways. Here is where we learn how to walk with God. And there's nothing better in all the world. By the way, that's why people are willing to be martyred for Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our fourth. You notice here in verse 19 that they may be able to comprehend the love of Christ. We'll never comprehend it completely because it's infinite. But he wanted them to know it is the best they could have as a way of life personally. Again, I know I'm repeating myself. As you can see, though, this is much more than rules on a sheet of paper. We're talking about a daily walk with God himself. This is a real growing relationship with God himself. And this is God's will for every believer. Fifth, verse 19, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. What is that talking about? It has to do with being saturated with godliness. Ephesians 3.20. Now he says, he gives the prayer, and here's what he says. This is great. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, Paul says, here's God's will for your life. And he lists all those things that we covered. And what did they all say? They all talked about a supernatural kind of life that is one of sweet fellowship with the living God himself. And then he says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You see, the biblical Christian life is such a rich, meaningful, fruitful, and satisfying life. And why is that? It is because Jesus Christ himself is the center of it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Can I tell you this New Testament truth? David got it. David got it in the Old Testament. Where does it say that, Pastor? There's a lot of places in David's writings. Let me mention 
1 to you. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Look at this. I shall not want. I will not lack anything. I have everything in the Lord. Everything I need, I have in him. Let me tell you something. Psalm 23, 1 is pretty deep. If you meditate on Psalm 23, 1, that ought to be a challenge to our hearts. Paul, he not only got it, as we have seen in Ephesians, but he also, it's very clear, he got it in Philippians 1, verse 21, where he said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, why would that be the case? I'll tell you why. Because he had a growing daily relationship with the Lord. His life experience, okay? It wasn't just rules. It wasn't just ideas. It was this person, God himself, the resurrected Christ, he was walking with. And this fulfilled everything in his life, all of his needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let me give you a few practical applications today in closing. The first is this. Zooming out, we're in Ephesians, right? We've been talking face-to-face this morning, challenging ourselves with these truths about our walk with Christ. But let's zoom out now and let's look again at the big picture because this is written to a church. The first is this. A local church is no better than the individuals who make it up. A local church is no better than the individuals who make it up. A local church is not about programs. A local church is not about the music. A local church is about the people. Folks, we do not come to church. We are the church. And the quality of our church is dependent upon the quality of the people. And the quality of the people is dependent upon their daily walk with this one whom we've been talking about, the Lord Jesus Christ. When people walk in the doors of this church, they should sense the life of Christ in this church. They should sense, you know what, there's, there's a different attitude here. There's a supernatural thing going on here. I'm not talking about it's something we manufacture. No, it's the overflow of our walk with Christ. This is what it's about. But with that in mind, secondly, the Lord is the one who provides all that we need. So it isn't just about, oh, I love the Lord. Great. But you know what? Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It doesn't just end with my daily walk of sweet fellowship in the sense of of what I sense as a believer. It has also to do with our obedience. The Lord is the one who provides all we need. He empowers us to serve him and fulfill his plan on the earth. And we'll start seeing that as we get into chapter 4. But we must have a daily walk with Christ through the pages of Scripture. Through the pages of Scripture. It's not based on opinion or feeling. It's through the pages of Scripture. If we do not, we not only hurt ourselves, but those around us in the body. God's ministry for us is more than just us and our families. Listen, God's ministry for you is more than just you and your family. Are you worshiping Christ or are you worshiping your family? Do you see your family as the church? Your family's not the church. Your family's part of the church. 
And what wise parents do is they teach that to their children and they say, listen, life is bigger than just us in this house. God wants us to be part of the local church. If you have a church, and you people here today do, you need to be involved. You need to be proactive. You need to be part of what's going on because we need each other to fulfill the work God has called us to do. Don't worship your family. Worship Christ. Now, you know I love family, and I love my family. Our children grew up in church. Our children grew up. Listen, going to church wasn't an option, and it wasn't just because I was a preacher. It wasn't an option because that's a commitment, a biblical commitment in obedience to the Word of God. And through that commitment, all the blessings that have flowed down through the years into the lives of our children. We must have a daily walk with Christ through the pages of Scripture. It is the world around us, folks, that is our ministry. And what the church accomplishes, it accomplishes through the saints who make it up and who are surrendered to the Lord and His will. And last, the Lord wants to use us here at Northland to do a great work for His glory. I hope you believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And God is using our church. Not only locally, He's using us around the world. And you know what? Why can't that just increase more and more and more? You might say, well, how are we going to do that? God, how are we going to do that? The Lord Jesus Christ? How are we going to do that? The Word of God, the power of the Spirit, the new nature? That's how we're going to do it. The grace of God? But we must be right individually, and then we can be right corporately. And that's the will of God. And this, of course, applies not only here at Northland, but it applies to all the body of Christ around the world. And it is accomplished by His power that works in us. We're going to close with two verses over in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Friend, you may be here today and you may be saying, this is totally contrary to everything I thought Christianity was. I thought Christianity was a bunch of rules to make my life miserable or whatever. No, friend, it's not that at all. Tell you what, you get captured by the grace of God, it can do amazing things in your life. 1 John 4 and verse 9, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Look at verse 10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as the satisfactory payment for your sin? If you haven't trusted in him, then you're trusting in yourself, and you cannot make a satisfactory payment. It'll take you forever, which means you'll never escape. Put your faith in Christ. He'll give you eternal life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.